Welcome to the Haunted Hangover Podcast. I'm Louie, and as always, I'm here with my bud, Dave. Hey. We're also joined by a special guest, Iana, from the Queens of NC-17 Podcast. Hi, hi. So, uh... Tell us a little bit about the Queens of NC-17 podcast. Sure. Uh, so we are three filthy broads from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, we actually met because of our shared passion and love for Halloween. That's what brought us together as co-workers. And uh, when that job unfortunately ended, we were committed to finding a reason to maintain our nasty friendship. So... We had some weird things happen to us. Uh, we had three options for three different reality shows. It was kind of a wild trip. Um, luckily, the overlords of our, um, I don't know, our souls, I guess, got in the way of any of those things coming to fruition, which is actually really fortunate because I don't know if you know anything about the reality TV world, but it is worse than we are. <laughs> and uh, because we got released from a contract, we were like, all right, well, now it's our time to do something we're passionate about that's about us and just what we're into, and that's shitty horror movies. Um, so our podcast is about an hour long. We've been doing it for almost four years. And every week we watch a shitty movie and then we walk you through it. Yeah, I, uh, I've listened to a few episodes. I highly recommend it if you love horror movies. I know Dave can attest, right? Dave, you agree with me? Yeah, I. you know, it's funny. Uh, so the Queens of NC-17, uh, they're actually the first podcast I think I like, like, f- like fully started listening to. Like, de- like de- dedication-wise, I started listening to. So um, I'm not even I'm not even like blowing smoke up your ass. That's, that's <laughs> no, I, we appreciate it, man. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy experience because, like I said, there's we're, we're three best friends and we do it because we're passionate about it. We do it because we're passionate about these movies and about special effects and about Halloween. And like really for us, the whole point is to give us a reason to hang out together. And we always said, like, we'll do this as long as it's fun. And um, we're, we're like four plus years into it at this point, and, and it just keeps getting better. So thank you for listening. Thank you for enjoying. Um, but I, I always throw the disclaimer. We tried to put it in our name so people were real clear what they were getting into. We are gross. We are <laughs> foul. We are nasty. We are rude. We are... We're queens of NC-17, but let's be honest, it's X-rated. <laughs> so like, if you can't handle hearing three girls talk about farts and shits and sex like (laughs) not the place for you um if you're into those things though you may just have a new favorite podcast so crude yeah our our bio that we give out to people is crude lewd and with major attitude i try to tell everybody to listen to it oh thank you we appreciate it that's this is like the podcast community right like we (laughs) gotta we support the people we love and the content we appreciate so seriously we, we super appreciate that when you listen to them it's like hanging out with them like you're you really do feel like you're just kind of off to the side and just hanging <laughs> out with them listening into their conversation so well you're gonna be here in like two weeks and we're gonna hang out so you'll get to test that for real and see <laughs> if it's uh, as good in in audio format as it is in person i'm very excited but yeah, you you guys have ga- uh, great chemistry on the show, and and that's you could just you could just tell you guys are great friends, and it really works. And you guys do a great job covering the different movies that you cover. So that's that's the love Thank I'm you. sending you your way when it comes to your show. <laughs> Thank you, Louis. We appreciate that. Honestly, like one of the things, like one of our big positions in this is there are a lot of great horror podcasts out there. And there are a lot of great, um, like, documentarians and historians on the subject matter. That's not what we do. Um, <laughs> like, there are people out there who can tell you the history of every every uh, movie that a cinematographer has worked on or a lighting technician has worked on. Or, like, you know, there's people who really, like, are masters of the subject. That's not us. Uh, we are just <laughs> fans of the genre, and so we try to come at it from that perspective. We try and just describe it as fans and as enthusiasts. So we're like super lowbrow, super entry level. Like, doesn't matter if you know what movies we're talking about. That's the other thing we try and do movies that these masters are not covering. Um, so in hopes that both we and you can discover something new and ridiculous. So we have two questions we ask our guests when they're on the show. 
It's basically one question, but it's kind of two. First is, why do you love Halloween? And why is the holiday so special to you personally? Man, this is like, uh, this is like when people ask you what your favorite horror movie is, you know? It's like such a big question. It's literally folded and braided into every part of my identity. But I think for me personally, um, there's a couple answers. And I grew up, so I'm from, I live in Pittsburgh now, but I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. So I'm from the Midwest, middle of the country. And um, I, this is going to be a shocker to you. So hold on to your butts. But I didn't fit in. Uh, I was fucking weird. I looked weird. I liked weird shit. I liked weird music. I liked weird movies. I liked things that my peers, the kids in my neighborhood were like not into at all. And, um, I spent a lot, well, I spent pretty much all of my youth being ostracized and weird and other. And Halloween was that one day a year where my weirdness made me a star. It was that one day a year where my, like, obsession with these dark macabre ideas or these movie characters or these makeups made me, like, the queen of Halloween. And I had never experienced popularity or, um, like, just general kindness from other children until that day. So once I realized that pretty young, that... Uh, by bringing, like, my costume construction to that day, I could fucking own it. And uh, that was powerful, and that was exciting, and it, it actually turned me on to the power of costuming and the power of makeup and the power of, like, creating yourself as something you want to be as opposed to whatever cards you're dealt at birth. Um, and it also showed me that like Halloween is this one moment where everybody kind of suspends the rules of polite society and the weirdos get to be king. I agree with that. Like on Halloween, people go crazy, whether you like to party or go to parades or go to haunted houses. And, and I always say like being a horror fan, you it's like the one day a year or one actually it's almost like a time because it's entirety of october and now september i even feel you kind of start seeing halloween in stores and decorations on houses and things like that but it's like you know it's like when horror or things that are spooky are the norm like it's cool to like you know put an entire skeleton in front of your house like no one <laughs> no one cares you know, during those months. Not only does no one care, but they praise you. Like, in that moment, you are, like, the, the, you are the person, you are the authority on that subject. It's like the first time exactly. people looked at me and they were like, all right, well, what do we do now? And I was like, yeah, motherfuckers, this is what we're trying to tell you. Like, this <laughs> what is what's up. What do we do up. now? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and I think that just that feeling of the possibility of not just being like an outcast and in the corner, but an opportunity to be a leader within something that's important to me that I'm passionate about was like super eye opening and super exciting. And I think I saw it really early and I, I attached myself to it really early. I remember decorating my house as a kid and like putting a red light bulb outside and my grandma being like, this tells all the neighbors you're a whore. You can't have a red light outside your house. Like, <laughs> I remember being like, what is Halloween? Like, we're just being spooky up in here. What are you worried about? And, and just like learning, I don't know. I feel like Halloween was like a language that unified me with people I would never have anything in common with, but it also like kind of put me one level above them because I, I lived it you know, as they say, it's not a costume, it's a way of life. You see, the babysitter and the man upstairs is what we call an urban legend. Contemporary folklore passed on as a true story. Now, there are variations of this one going back to the 1960s, all of them containing the same cultural admonition. All right, so I thought it would be fun on the show today to cover some Halloween urban myths. Since you cover movies on your podcast, Iana, I thought it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the right thing to do because I'm sure you're the last thing you want to do is talk about horror movies or review a movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. To be fair, uh, I'm always down for that. But I appreciate your trying to give me a break and mix it up and come up with something <laughs> different. So ha Halloween, as we all know, has its fair share of myths. 
um, different stories people tell every year. And some of them are true. Some of them aren't. Some of them are in between. They're, they're, there's some truth and some bullshit to the, to the stories and to these myths. And, you know, and I'm assuming uh, you both know what an urban myth is. It's a, a legend that's kind of passed through word of mouth. Um, some examples of this are like the, uh, what is it, pop rocks and soda can kill you. <laughs> um, what's some other ones? The, the killer in the back seat with an axe and the gas station attendant doesn't, uh, is actually trying to warn you, but he's so creepy you don't realize it. <laughs> Man, I think that this is like a really important thing to mention though because, again, I guess this is what old people do. We just talk about how fucking old we are all the time. But um, one of the things that I found really interesting moving from the Midwest to, like, the East Midwest um, is learning that my childhood urban legends and my childhood, like, stories and tales were consistent across the country. So when I moved here and met all these different people, we would share these tales like, oh, did you ever hear this one? Did you ever hear that one? And it's crazy that pre-internet we were still able to pass those stories across the country from cousin to cousin and, like, move them around because that's how these stories actually got their ground, right? That's how they got their roots. I think we're all the better for it. And I agree. A lot of these stories... You know, it, it can be like where you're from, like, it, you know, being from New York, the most famous one is that we have alligators in our sewers. Like that's one you always hear about. I'm waiting for that to be disproven, Louis. I don't think there's <laughs> ever been any evidence that there are not alligators in the sewer. Dude, it's 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 like Devil's Night. Totally. Devil's Night. It's not everywhere. Not everybody knows what that is. Which is crazy to me right? because any like <laughs> shitty movie loving human being watched The Crow which was the foundation of Devil's Night being a popular idea, I think, in the 90s. I agree. So, yeah, I thought it would be fun for each of us to pick a myth or urban legend that kind of is focused on Halloween or around Halloween. So let's get into it. All right. So I tried to pick one that not only was connected to Halloween, but was uh, close to my geographic area. So I dug around. I asked some people from Pittsburgh, since I'm not from here originally, what were urban legends that you heard growing up around Halloween time? And the one I kept hearing over and over again was the Green Man. Uh, people call him different things. Some people call him the Green Man Legend. Some people call him the Green Man Tunnels. Some people call him Charlie No-Face. And I thought this one was really interesting because, uh, first of all, the story tends to amplify around the Halloween season. People tend to share it more consistently. People tend to talk about it more. But basically, the story of Charlie No-Face, or the Green Man, is that around Halloween, if you go to these tunnels just outside of Pittsburgh, you drive your car in, you turn your headlights off, you will see a figure that comes out of the shadows and has a green glow around his body. That in and of itself is pretty spooky, but the added measure is that his face is super disfigured, he has no eyes, no nose, and his mouth is in a really like distorted shape across his face. And if he touches your car, it can stop your engine or it can short out all your electrical just by that single touch. So this legend has a lot of like sidebars and branches that take it into different directions. But the thing that I thought was really cool is that it's actually based on a true guy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a brutal story what happened to that guy. It is. So Charlie No Face, uh, which is a really shitty name. Uh, <laughs> I feel like they really could have tried a little harder with that. Yeah, it's kind of lazy. <laughs> it's lazy. I agree. It's a lazy name. It, you know what? It sounds like it's like like something like kids would call somebody in their class that they don't like that they thought was like yeah, ugly it's Charlie or Pissy Pants. They, hey, look, it's Charlie yeah. No Face. What happened to your face, Charlie? It's yeah, it's it's kind of it's actually really cruel sounding. It is cruel, and honestly, if if you give this a quick goog, uh, you will see photographs because he was a real person. Um, personally, I love a legend 
that is grounded in reality to me it like gives me goosebumps and makes it even more exciting and even more real so i love that there is a backstory to this and it's actually pretty easy to find the information so charlie new face was actually born raymond robinson and he was actually born on october 29th so right before halloween which is another connection um but way back in 1910 in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. So that's a little bit outside of Pittsburgh, but it's like Pittsburgh's kind of crazy because it's a big city, but you go like 45 minutes outside and you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. So he's just outside of Pittsburgh, born in 1910, and there are a couple different variations, as all good legends have, about what actually happened um, the true story is that at about eight or nine years old, so that's like 1918, 1919, which is actually the peak of the Spanish influenza. Um, so like very relevant right now, right? Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Apparently he and his friends were hanging out by this railroad track and they spotted a bird's nest in a tall power line. Um, there's debate over whether or not he chose to independently or was egged on by his friends to go up and check it out, but either way he did, and he grabbed a power line. So a crazy amount of electricity, again, there's a lot of variance on, like, exactly how much, but I don't think it matters because at the end of the day, this poor kid lost half of his right arm, his eyes, his nose, his ears, his face was totally disfigured, and for the time nobody expected him to live like the the injuries were so severe they definitely thought this kid's got a week max and it's going to be brutal and he'll never make it shockingly to everyone including his family he survived and actually um grew up to be fairly well adjusted he could hear he could speak but his physical appearance was really terrifying and again, I recommend giving it a, a Google search or, or, or checking it out because it's, it's, it's the thing that, that nightmares are made of. Yeah, it's, it, I, I Googled. It's funny because I, the, the, his, his image has been used in like, remember those stupid videos? I think I remember seeing one of them that scary, those like jump scare videos. At the end, yeah, yeah where it's like, watch this cool video yeah. of a puppy getting all the cake. <laughs> and then at the end, it just like screams in your face at full volume. Yeah, yeah so I think I watched a video where they used a real image of Charlie No-Face. And I, I remember when I, because I, I Googled the story just to kind of, you know, remember exactly what it consists of. And I was like, oh shit, you, like you see that image everywhere on the internet and it looks fake, yeah. but it's real. It looks fake. It it's so scary. Yeah. It's so scary that that I mean, especially in the world we live in now, like we're just built to assume that this is some very clever either makeup or like computer generation, but this is this dude's face. And the reality is he he went on to live a fairly like long life. I think he lived into his 70s. He made it until the 80s and um he he so, so how this legend came to be was that at night he would go out walking um, and he would make a very specific path, including these tunnels, because he knew them. They were consistent. It was something he could find his way on. And so neighborhood kids would see him out there at night while they were out drinking or necking or doing whatever 1960s kids did. <laughs> necking. Yeah, I'm trying to bring that one back, guys. I just slipped it in. Don't call too much attention to it. I'm trying to make it a thing. Um, but, you know, so these kids are out there doing whatever these kids do. And unfortunately, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but kids fucking suck. And they're really cruel. And they see this dude who's just trying to get some exercise, some evening air. I've, I've read some things that say, like, he didn't really go out during daytime hours because the ridicule was too much. And so nighttime was his sanctuary, especially around Halloween. Um, he loved the fall air. He loved to be out there. And so um, he would be out walking around and these kids would come upon him and they would say, you know, hey, let us get a picture with you or you should come hang out with our group. And apparently his exchange rate was some cigarettes and beer, which respect, like I love that. He was like, cool, you guys can fucking use me, but I, I'm going to get mine. 
Um, and it just, like, all these legends, you know, it just kind of evolved from there because I think his appearance was so startling that people naturally would expand on that and make these crazy stories. Um, there, there, There's legends about the fact that he was a grown adult who worked for the power company and was hit by lightning or touched an electrical line and all these disfigurations happened at that point. But the, the truth is he was injured as a child. Nighttime was his sanctuary. He was just out there trying to, to survive and um, people kind of built the whole legend from there so that is the green man from pa it's funny because honestly when you think about it it's a really sad story that's the first thing he was like nine years old when this happened and so he was a child he was so little he never lived a life not like i feel like he probably doesn't have any memories or didn't have any memories before this moment he, it was innocent he was just walking, yeah. Oh, like so he was pure. just walking yeah. at night because he knew people were gonna be like, "Oh, who's that elephant man looking dude or whatever?" You know. <laughs> of course, right. Like if you think about it, if you're just driving down a road and you saw that, I think it would freak any of us out. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Dave, have you seen pictures of this guy? So it's funny that you mentioned that years ago. I was driving, I forgot what road it was, but it's a long stretch of road. I'm from Long Island, I live in Long Island, and I've never heard of this urban legend at all. So we actually were driving like late one night and we saw a dude walking, up. Uh, he was walking along the road and I was just looking, just trying to see what he looked like. Like who goes, you know, like I'm, you know, anyone that I see walking around a really long stretch of road at one in the morning is I'm interested to see who this person is. So I'm trying to get a look, a look at him and I can't see his face. So like we keep driving and then we end up like, this is like 20 minutes later where we end up turning around and it's the same guy, but now he's walking the opposite way. And I'm like, I still can't see his face. He's following you dudes. So <laughs> no, but it was just so weird because the one way I didn't, I couldn't see him. And then the other way we couldn't see him. So it, it does tie into that in a way. But it's just, I guess that, that's that's our version of Charlie No-Face. But he might have a face, so I don't know. <laughs> Trust me, Charlie No-Face, when you get that, when you when you take a look at this picture, you're going to be like, ah, no, I don't think that's who that was. <laughs> this is a pretty distinctive face. But you can see how, especially, again, like, you have to take the time into consideration that there, this is, like, peak urban legend time because that's how stories spread. But he his, his appearance is startling and... Um, it, it's more fun to add the detail of the green mist around him and him being able to disable the vehicle. Like, this is how any good legend originates. The fact that it has basis in reality, to me, just makes it even more interesting. And honestly, like, if this legend didn't exist, we may not know the name Raymond Robinson, you know? Again, the, the freakiest thing about it is that it's real. That's that's honest. That's honestly to me, like I, I remember years ago hearing about it and, and, and I read about it and I just kind of had to like, you know, reread some of the articles to be like, oh shit, yeah, I remember that. And it's interesting because I, I want to know what the whole green mist thing was about. Like, I, I don't think, I don't recall like reading that anywhere, but like, what did the green mist, what did it do? Did it do anything or he just had a green mist around him? <laughs> He had a green aura around his body. Like, that. It, there was just, like, a green vibe around him. It wasn't in a place that had a green connection. His name didn't have a green connection. Like, that's just how it took off. Somebody decided that he had a green, like, energy around him, and that's what dismantled the electricity in your vehicle. Um, and it just kind of took off from there, which is, again, one of the most interesting parts about these legends and how they spread. Yeah, I, I just keep thinking of I just keep thinking of Repo Man. <laughs> yeah, you should give him a gook. It's way worse. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't made a movie about this dude. Like, I'm surprised it hasn't happened. If it did, I, I don't know about it. But no, I'm just I haven't heard anything about that. He actually, like, lived a fairly reasonable life. He made uh, money for himself by making belts, wallets, and doormats, and he would sell them. He was pretty well known. He lived with his family in Copal, Pennsylvania. Uh, until his death so he he did okay for himself considering how horribly disfigured he was and for the medical care available at that time like they definitely didn't expect him to survive let alone thrive and actually be able to make a living for himself so overall i feel like it's a story of overcoming 
uh, the power of electricity. So good on you, Ray. So Iana, with you being from Kansas City, Missouri, I actually went to KCMO last summer. And two of my good buds, Bryce from Forever Bogus and Elijah from Magnetic Magic Rentals, they showed me a video on this guy named Dave Reaver. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dave Reaver, but he was a Vietnam vet that was disfigured in the war. I believe, now do not quote me on this, I think it was grenade shrapnel that disfigured him. So if you look him up, like, and, and this, this was the, this was a description that Bryce gave me. It's like, he said, it's, it's basically toxic Avenger looking. So he's very religious, this man. He does a lot of motivational speaking and he would go to schools in the eighties and like, kind of like make fun of himself in a way, like, cause he was disfigured. So, I mean, it, it, it was very obvious that this guy was you know you know he looked the way he looked so he used it in his in his power to talk to these kids um it was just it was really interesting it's a little unnerving but it was uh it was it was certainly interesting to watch he has like like uh like satanic panic videos on youtube and uh it's uh it's certainly worth diving into this guy dave reaver they were calling him davy when I uh when I when we were watching it at Bryce's place, but I just thought that kind of tied in. So this is nineties. This is like this. So the videos that I saw were from the eighties. From the eighties, okay. The Satanic Panic video, I think, might be the late eighties, early nineties. I'm not sure, but I, it just what you what you just said just kind of remind me of that. But it's interesting, you know, how people like he used that, and he made like a brand out of that. That's awesome. That is, I mean, in in the worst case scenario, the best outcome, right? Like, like having your face disfigured outside of your control. Like, what what a horrible way to have to walk through the world. People are so cruel and so terrible that to be able to take that and turn it into a career or a legend, like, that's the move. In the darkest reaches of the mind, there has never been anything like brigantine. Alive again, with even more surprises than before. From its lofty towers high above the sea, to rat-infested dungeons and hidden graveyards. There is always someone, or something, dying to meet you. Brigantine Castle. It's alive. So my urban legend is the 13th floor money back haunted house, also known as the Chimera House. So the story goes that every Halloween season, groups of teens either go on the hunt or stumble across the Chimera House and decide to enter it. But this haunted house isn't like other like attractions because if you successfully survive your experience inside, you're paid like... So in the legend, it's either one large sum of money at the very end or like $100 per room as you pass through each one. And the one caveat is nobody has escaped this attraction after entering, basically vanishing without a trace. The house is said to contain anything from ghost to deformed creatures. Speaking of deformed, we just talked about Charlie No-Face. Or even poisonous animals like snakes and spiders. Um, The haunt always resides in a rural area and is usually built in like an abandoned hospital or factory. So doing some research... It looks like the legend dates back to like the late 80s, I think 1987 specifically, and was started in either Texas or Kansas City. What? All these Kansas City tiebacks. What the fuck? Are you sure you don't want to go back to Kansas City? No, absolutely not. I never want to be there again. I spent my whole (laughs) life trying to escape. I'm here now. No. (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) Oh. Fair enough. So it's sort of creepy because there's no real concrete origin for this legend because it's always been through word of mouth. But as far back as I could tell, that's like through all the research I I looked up, those are the two places that they say the story or the myth came from. Um, So what's funny is, and I don't know if you guys, I'll ask you guys in a second, but when I was a kid... I remember vividly kids in my class 
and even some family members mentioning like a haunted house that has 13 floors and it's in a warehouse and it's super scary and you won't make it out. And um, not the I didn't hear the money stuff so much. I don't remember anyone saying like, oh, if you escape, you'll you'll be paid money or your money back. Um, but one thing I always heard, and I don't know if maybe it was just my my it was a family friend. I remember maybe it was just them because they were kind of fucked up and they knew they could mess with like a, a child. They <laughs> told me that if you <laughs> if you slide down this like slide, it leads to basically a a pit of bodies so think discovery zone or like a ball pit <laughs> but a ball pit of corpses of corpses yeah that, it's all i've ever wanted <laughs> so i remember hearing that as a kid and you know at around 12 years old uh i was really in, i still am but i was really into haunted like haunted attractions so i was always going to haunted houses and if i could go to some that are you know running during off season i'd go to them and obviously September, October came around. There were tons of haunted houses because of Halloween. But is this a legend you guys ever heard? Because I feel like everyone's heard this legend. I feel like I've heard a variation of it. The 13 being the operative word. Uh, Kansas City has some pretty intense haunted houses. And um, I feel like there's definitely one that has 13 stories or like 13 in the title and it's all in this old abandoned part called the west bottoms um so they they're all there year round um i definitely have like when you said when you were talking about this there were things that like spiked up in my brain but not exactly this version definitely no money if there was money i would have been there (laughs) it's funny it's what's funny is like i grew up in the bronx and queens which are far from rural. So it's interesting how even I heard about the legend. I just always found that strange because, again, I was literally, there's nowhere you could build an entire haunted attraction, like an abandoned building, because there weren't many. You know what I mean? Like abandoned hospital or something like that, hypothetically. If you wanted to, it'd be kind of hard to hide that because... You're basically killing people is what I'm I, what I'm assuming is happening in the story is that since they don't escape the haunted house. But a lot of real haunted attractions kind of try to piggyback off this legend by kind of saying like, oh, you know, it's the scariest haunted attraction and, and no one survived. It's all bullshit because it's fake. Obviously, there's no real zombies or creatures or ghosts in these haunted houses and the whole money back gimmick, someone actually registered that term. I I forget who, but there's a person that registered that. And it's just funny because if you really think about it, that's not the best business model to give people their money back after escaping (laughs) a haunted house. If you don't die? (laughs) Hypothetically, if this is a normal haunted attraction, they're just trying to use the legend to make money. You know, a guy like me who goes through a lot of haunted attractions will be able to kind of brush right through it and just like, okay, where's my 50 bucks? You know, you'd make no money. You'd probably make a, you know, you could probably save a couple bucks here and there by people that are scared. But most people that love haunted houses can walk through them. To me, this like, this, this reminds me of like... 70s movie advertising of like don't worry we'll have ambulances outside people are fainting in the theaters like creating the hype about how bad it is is how you get bodies in the door even if you got to pay 50% of them their money back like it's still probably worth it because of the buzz it generates especially for us yeah it's creating hype yeah our us broken minds that are like i might die let me give this man my money. I feel like the extreme haunted attractions like McCamey Manor and Blackout kind of they kind of have these reputations of being right. really right. intense. But I don't even think um, um McCamey Manor is a whole other thing. Whole We're other planning beast. on covering that haunted house down the line in a future episode, but I don't even think those two give people their money back or have a prize. No, 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 no. There's no money involved. That's all about like ego and pride. I will say I have been to the Pittsburgh version of the all hands, like full contact experience. And <laughs> it was a fucking blast. 
we we were separated immediately, which I love that idea because typically when you enter a haunted house, you get to go through with the people you come in with. But Scare House is like an award-winning haunted house in Pittsburgh. It's right around the corner from where we live. And uh, they they have this whole experience called the basement where you have to sign like 10 pages of your soul away to be like, yes, these people can touch me. These people can engage with me. And we had such an amazing experience the first year. Like we, we were ready to drive to New York for blackout. Like we were ready until we heard about like the head in the toilet or the room full of syringes kind of situation. Like there, there's lines but <laughs> i've done blackout did you do it yeah the first when? year i think it was either the first or second year wow and i think it's more intense now or, or or less intense i'm not sure because i think now you're allowed to go in with another person you gotta you gotta tell about that though that's like i know they change it year to year so it doesn't matter yeah yeah they they change it from year from year to year but the year i went i had a few drinks before i went that's the first thing. <laughs> and I, I remember them taking my sneaker and threw it in a room at the very end. And there was, there's a lot of... Was there a slide? No, there's no slide. <laughs> there is a body, like they make you crawl. And then there's like a body just laying there, I think, asking you for help. There's a part where there's a big naked dude, tells you to get on the bed and there's, Dude, I yeah, read about and, this and, year. This was the first year. I remember this was the year that I read the description and I was like, I have to go. Now, the year I went, if I remember correctly, they didn't give you any flashlight. But I hear now you get a flashlight, I yeah, think. Yeah, this was a while ago. This was like the OG. This was the, the beginning of this branding of a haunted experience. They, they had like a woman, I think she pulls out like a tampon and rubs it in your face because they did put a surgical mask on your face, if I remember correctly, so that she could like smear the blood all over it. They make you take, it didn't happen to me, but we have our friend Tom who also went through it one year and they made him take his shirt off. That didn't happen to me. So I think everyone's experience is different. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I love to hear you describe it because, like, as somebody in Pittsburgh who was reading about this the year it came out, I was just, like, drooling over all this. I was like, they're going to steal my shoe? What? <laughs> I, you get it back at the very end. And I think that's where, like, the shoes are laid out with, like, fake broken glass and fake syringes and stuff. It, they do a great job. My only issue with it was that it was really short it didn't it wasn't a long experience for me it wasn't but then at the same oh, time really? they get really close to you and i have a feeling they might have smelled that i had a yeah. couple drinks because <laughs> i wasn't belligerent like i wasn't acting up or you know being an asshole sure, but they were sure. probably like this they yeah they just kind of pushed me through and i think they could tell like this guy had a few drinks before he came in here so they didn't want to mess with me too much don't get me wrong i got felt up I got, like, yeah. a bunch of stuff happened, but, like... That's what you paid for, buddy. Yeah, I was, like, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was I was just going with the flow. It didn't really bother me too much. Would I do it again? I don't know. <laughs> but going back to the actual legend, I think a lot of those houses, like Blackout, kind of use this story to kind of push their own, you know, push their own haunt and, and kind of get it out there. Because I feel like... You know, a forbidden haunt that's dangerous or scary or you have to sign a waiver before you go into it kind of fits this whole legend of not being able to make it through. You know what I mean? Super appealing. Super appealing. It's just interesting how how something so silly like this, this 13-story uh, haunted attraction that gives you your money back could kind of feed into other haunted attractions. Because when I was doing my research for this um, for this legend... I read that there's a bunch of haunts like across the U.S. that use the like whole like this is they claim to be that haunt. They claim to be the Chimera House. You know what I mean? So I'm very aware of this of this urban legend, and I like I can give you my own rendition of what I've heard about this. Is that you either had to get invited to it or you had to sign up on the secret website and you had to wait to get an invitation. Like 
that's the things that I heard about these haunted houses. Like, you know, if you if you make it to the 13th level, you get to get out and you get your money back and stuff. Like, I had heard that it originated in Pennsylvania. Full circle! <laughs> it's funny how when all these myths and these legends circulate, there's so many sub- genres of the myth and legend and it, it's just it it just could keep going on and on and it, it also works for like these blackout type haunted houses because i've been to one called nyctophobia which is all the way out east on long island and it's basically the same thing where i i went with my co with one of my co-workers and this place really like the setting really fit the bill it was in a warehouse like in a forest and they bring you in, they kind of brief you, they make you watch this video, and they spray you in the face that's supposed to be a hallucinogenic. Nope. It better be, or I want my money back! And they, 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 it actually is, it's, it's actually really well, it was really well done. And you have a, they, they give you a glow stick for part of it, and then they take it away at some point. But they do, they do the same shit where, like, they separated me and my, fr uh, my friend and I, and like they made us get on our knees and he's like yo he's like my friend's killing your friend right now he's like what are you yeah. gonna do about it and i'm laughing exactly i'm laughing you're like i'm time. fully erect is that wrong <laughs> is that the wrong experience <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing the whole time and i'm sure that doesn't help because i'm like because they're probably like like i'm sure there's probably people in there that want to scare people and then you have these assholes laughing and making you know making light of the entire situation there's a part where they throw you in a van and they take your sneakers off and i was just like this is amazing Yo, this is amazing <laughs> no i was just gonna say like uh, the, as somebody who's worked in a haunted attraction at one point in my life like people who are having fun that's what it's all about. It's the bros who come through who are like, I'm not scared. That's so scary. Yeah, those guys That's suck. the shit that pisses you off. It's like, cool. Yeah. You spent $50 and waited in line for four hours to tell me I'm not scary. I hope you feel good about yourself, dude. But like the people who come through and are giggling and having a good time, like I connected to that. Like I understood that. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. Like your blood is flowing. It's all the excitement of a dangerous situation without any of the actual risk. You know, th th there was even one part where you had to crawl through, like, a couple of inches of mattresses, and they had some girl that was crawling around in, like, a white dress, <laughs> and, and she was, like, hissing at you. And then there's a part when they... There was a part when they grab you and they put, they put a... Uh, they put, a uh, like, a blinder on you, and... A, I'm sorry, a blindfold on you and they put you on this wagon and like they pull you and they push you and like it, it was so bizarre i could picture dave going through this thing it must have been hysterical to see <laughs> i'm just picturing him with a blindfold and a huge smile just like up to the blindfold do you want to know this this is the best part my friend and I were more concerned about getting the glow-in-the-dark bracelet that said nyctophobia on it more than anything at that haunt. And we got the damn Collectors. <laughs> that was like our end game was getting that damn bracelet. Haunts are supposed to be fun. You're supposed to have a good time in them. But I think we could all agree that none of us want to go into a haunted attraction and never come out. Watch out for candy wrappers that have been torn or punctured. That might be a sign of tampering. There might be things in the candy, so break open candy bars before you eat them. Cut fruit into pieces before you eat it, just in case something's been stuck in it. Watch out for things that look like candy, but might be medicines or drugs or even poisons. Don't eat anything that doesn't look right. If it looks funny, it might not be so funny if you ate it. Treats are so much fun to collect, it'd be awful to have them spoil your Halloween fun by making you sick. Corey's treats won't make her sick, and I hope yours won't make you sick either. So I decided to get a little creative with covering my myths and urban legends. So we're all aware of the myth of poison candy and LSD, or hallucinogenic tainted tattoos that are given out during Halloween time. And, you know, I don't think I've ever received a tattoo, by the way, trick-or-treating. Like, I... I from what I understand, that's actually normal, but I don't think I've ever gotten one. 
I don't know. Have you guys ever gotten a temporary tattoo for Halloween? So here's like a really unsettling detail about me, which is that I'm a parent. Uh, I actually had a baby 14 years ago, and now it's like upright and walking and talking and has its whole thing that it does. So trick-or-treating is a big part of our life every year, and he gets temporary tattoos and huggies like nothing else i've never received a temporary tattoo ever it's a thing now for sure the the idea of it being tainted by lsd i'm sorry is kind of funny it's awesome and i want it (laughs) so you know growing up you know i don't think my mom even ever checked my candy to be honest with you like i don't think like as far i'm like i'm trying to go back and remember i I don't remember her checking my candy i just remember coming home i had this fucking jack-o'-lantern uh jack-o'-lantern bag and i would just dump i'd dump it on my bed and i would eat it and i I would like i would like ration my candy out too like i would like okay i'm gonna have this today and i'll eat this tomorrow i have like four snickers left i'll have to make those best of the week like that's how i go about eating my candy like it was very strategic but you know what though i think this is an important thing to call attention to like again as being a child of the same time versus being a parent of now like back in the day your candy rations were Halloween and Easter. That yeah. was fucking it. Like, maybe you got something on Christmas, but, like, you had to be strategic with that shit. Yeah. You couldn't just eat candy every day like these kids do now. Mm-hmm. They get candy for every fucking holiday. It's crazy. We had to fucking plan that shit out for the whole year. You don't get summer candy. Back in the day, we only got candy on those specific holidays, and so we had to build our whole year around it. I agree with Dan. I don't think my mother checked my candy. I think I did. I'll be honest with you. But the only reason why I checked it was because I wanted to throw away all the shitty candy. (laughs) I I think I did too. Of course. Yeah. Those things wrapped in the orange wrapper and the black wrapper. What the fuck were those? What were those? And I didn't like Tootsie Rolls that (gasps) much. So I used to throw those away too. I know. (laughs) I like them more now as an adult. I'm not even gonna lie. So, so, so going back now to the to the LSD tainted tattoos, one of the myths is that there was a blue star tattoo, and how that even came to light was that it would circulate through emails or flyers, and people would easily latch on to this idea, and the flyers would claim ruthless drug dealers are targeting school children with a rub on blue star tattoo. That is laced with LSD. I want all children to be high right now. This needs to be a movie. Yes, I support that. I would go. I would India go go that shit. <laughs> I've never heard of this legend. Like this is the, when Dave told me about this earlier. It was my first time hearing it. I, I you know, I never, I, I never did either. And and wait, and wait, and this, and this, it, this is where it gets even better. The description is that it's wrapped in foil and it's the mere size of a pencil eraser. And and the best part is. There's no documentation of this myth at all. So this is a myth with zero proof that has circulated around the world. And I think it's hysterical. I agree. But I think it's important to also mention the one that I think none of us chose because everybody's heard it, which is the razor blades and the candy kind of thing. Like the whole the whole concept of checking your candy comes from a situation There's only one documented case. I've done some research on this. There's only one documented case of a child being poisoned through their candy, and he was actually poisoned by his father. Yes, I've heard about that one. Was there a documentary covering that one or something, or a a show? That's where I heard of it. I've never seen the documentary, but I've actually done some research on it because as a child, like the whole concept of checking your candy came from oh, some people are going to try and poison and kill you. And I was like, that seems stupid because (laughs) what benefit do they have? Like, if I get poisoned and killed, they won't know. Like, this seems silly. But when you dig into it, the only actual documented case of that happening on Halloween via Halloween candy was a father putting, what did he use, rat poison in a pixie stick for his children. So I chose these cliche things because after all is said and done, and I know I've asked myself this question about many of things, how do these things get started? How do these things come to light? And some of the research that I did led me to a story, and it's literally titled 
Halloween of 1982. So this is a year before I was born. Same. Yeah. So many parents' fears were rooted in true stories, and one year in particular is in 1982. Several terrible but isolated incidents instilled a country with fear, causing candy and costume sales to plunge, and a lot of families let their children stay home. A few cities even canceled Halloween that year. And one particular incident, there was the Chicago Tylenol murders. In September and October, seven people died taking tainted Tylenol. The unknown assailant used cyanide to taint the pills. These murders led to a complete overhaul in how over-the-counter substances were packaged. To this day, no one was arrested for these crimes, and the month following, hundreds of product tampering cases were recorded. October 28, 1982. A pin hidden in a chocolate bar cut the cheek of a 28-year-old Long Island resident. Long Island! The same day, a group of schoolchildren in New Jersey had to be hospitalized after eating Tootsie Rolls given out at a school party that were laced with PCP. God damn. Oh, PCP's a good time. <laughs> Louie, you were you were protecting yourself, but you didn't know what you were missing. <laughs> That's why everyone loved Tootsie Rolls back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Just crossing our fingers and toes hoping. 1982 was so bad regarding product tampering that the director of New York City Department of Health's Poison Control Center said, we are approaching an epidemic in the contamination of products, furthering paranoia and extreme caution, especially during Halloween time. So, what does this tell you? This tells you how these fucking things get started. That's exactly where it started, I'm sure. Totally. You know, I'm sure the myth of candy being poisoned probably predates 1982. But for people our age, that's probably the most, you know, this is probably it for us. This is probably where it did start. So... It, I, I always wonder, like, how the fuck do these things start? Like, when Louis, when Louis was explaining, there was a slide that, that, that led to a pit of dead bodies. Who started that rumor that everybody knew? It was me. I started it. I started all of these rumors. It was all me. The most interesting thing about the whole poison candy and, and Tylenol thing is, I'm guessing that's why we now have those, like, child safety lock things on medication. I'm guessing that's where it was started. So it kind of makes sense. The Tylenol case is like super spooky when you read about it. Oh, because yeah. it's like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. This is such a weird thing to do. So it's just, you know, so I, I, I wanted to I wanted to wrap wrap up the myths with exactly that. Where do the where do they come from? Where do they start? You know? So, you know, I, I, I mentioned the most cliche myth of them all. The poison candy is probably the most known myth of halloween oh yeah it's in movies it's in it's in everything i think that a lot of these legends it, it really depends so like iana's legend that was a real thing that was a real person and the legend was built around him just because of how different he was mine i think it's just people's hunger to be scared to want something a little more frightening something more extreme which you can get now in the 80s you couldn't get that you couldn't really extreme haunted houses and escape rooms and shit like that didn't exist. So I think it was just people's hunger for something more intense. Now the candy, now your myth, I feel like, and the poison, I think it's people's paranoia. It's, that's really all it is. If you think about it, people are just paranoid and they're like, all right, people are poisoning Tylenol. Why not poison Halloween candy? So let's make sure our kids make sure we check their candy and they don't go to certain houses and that guy's weird avoid that house (laughs) you know what i mean of course of course i think so much of this is built around just like biases right like like fears and biases and and halloween is like such a pure day of like debauchery that i think anybody who has a connection to the christian world has like real and deep i've had friends come to me and i'm sorry i'm laughing <laughs> it's okay <laughs> i've had friends i've had friends come to me and be like are you concerned and i'm like bitch no <laughs> no no i am not concerned because your fairy tale is way more boring than mine <laughs> um yeah uh... and it's just like it's just it's just all 
I don't know. I think I have an interesting insight into this as a parent because the things that come through my world are like twofold. They're the things from my human existence and then the secondary identity as a parent. And I'm just like, y'all are stupid. Like, (laughs) you really think that people are spending their time trying to manipulate your children and like trick them into this thing you know who's trying to do that tiktok facebook instagram like (laughs) i agree yeah the the people who are targeting your children are not these random disfigured people in this great mythos like it's the government so all it takes is one solidified story in any of these specific arenas to like spin that narrative in uh, any one direction so it's wild it's interesting i love i really do enjoy that these myths transcend geographical location and again like that seems like a silly idea probably to people of today who are so used to the internet and used to information transferring so freely but like for kids of a different generation where we didn't have this kind of access and we didn't have this kind of uh like view into each other's life so this group specifically you know I was in the midwest you guys were in New York like we had totally different childhoods and yet somehow we were exposed to very similar ideas and threats and legends like that to me is really interesting that still we managed it's awesome yeah it's it's super cool that we still managed to push those stories through without the vehicle of the internet yeah it's crazy to 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 think that word of mouth was so powerful at one point that you didn't need the internet you didn't need social media yeah you didn't need those dumb email chain things where like share the email this to 15 people or this evil cursed ghost will kill you or something like that like you didn't it was before all of that so i just find it interesting how you know we're all in our 30s and and at one point you could just hear this from a family friend or a kid at school or your cousin who's an asshole who's just trying to right, scare right, you, you know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. And that's what kept these myths and these urban legends alive, you know? And then going back to Halloween, you know, Halloween, not to us, obviously, some people view it as an evil, satanic day that they don't even leave. I, I'll never forget a few years ago working with a woman who told me she does not leave. And, and she, I was her coworker, so I felt bad for her. But... <laughs> I can't believe she told me that she does not let her daughter out on Halloween. She doesn't even let her go to school. Why? Because she associates Halloween with the devil, Satan, evil, death. <sighs> and all it really is is a bunch of kids trick-or-treating for candy and costumes. Nowadays, kids don't even dress up as scary things half the time. They're dressed up as, like, fairies and Disney characters and things like that. And you know what else? Trick-or-treating is, like, a super bummer because it literally happens from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Like, it's scheduled. As As kids... We never had a schedule for Halloween. You waited until it got dark, and you trick-or-treated until the last house turned off their light. Like, there was no scheduled, organized timing for that shit. But now it's, like, so, I don't know, everything's so precious and succinct, and it's terrible. It's a bummer. Yeah, it's so different. And honestly, these, these, like, legends and myths have to live on, I feel. To kind of just put some fear into people to enjoy the holiday. And in, and in general, like I think, you know, some of these urban myths that people still talk about. And even some of these new ones now, you know, you have a, what was that one a few years ago? That, that there was like a, a, a monster on a YouTube channel. I don't remember because I don't follow some of the newer ones. But they still exist and they're still being created today. And I think it's really important that people embrace that and that people, you know, just kind of enjoy it because, you know, a world without urban legends or legends and the ones that are tied to Halloween would suck. <laughs> Jenna, imagine taking your kids out trick-or-treating in a nice neighborhood like this neighborhood on the city's north side, and then you find out that somebody put a sharp metal object inside a piece of Halloween candy. Two area moms say that's exactly what happened to them. So huge shout-out to Iana for being on the show today. Uh, I just have to say... Queens of NC-17 is definitely in my top five podcasts. 
as far as quality, as far as fun factor, as far as information goes about the films. It's just, it's, it's a great podcast. I love listening to them. They were legitimately the first podcast. Like I like dedicated myself to listening to. So we were very grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure, and I'm so happy to be able to be here with you guys. I love your show. I love what you're doing, and Halloween is every day. Exactly. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. So, Iana, where can people find you? Uh, so we are really easy to find at Queens of NC17. Uh, you can find us on Instagram there. You can find us on Facebook there. You can find us on Twitter there. But queensofnc17.com has links to all those different sources. So from there, you can follow us individually, me, China, and Andy. Or you can follow our channel and what we're working on next. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Haunted Hangover. And if you can rate and review us, that'd be greatly appreciated. And remember, the best cure for a hangover is... More, more booze. booze. Later, guys.